Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, Guilty Feminists. On today's edition of the podcast, we have Carly Findlay, who's a disability activist. And she asked me to pass on a warning to you that we used some ableist language just in discussion around what is ableist language examples of. So please be aware of that happening in this episode before you listen to it. I'm a feminist, but the self-talk I do about my body is so dreadful, my thighs should sue me for defamation. (laughs) I'm a feminist, but I think false eyelashes make me look more beautiful because they definitely do. (laughs) They do, though. I won't do a photo shoot without them because it's just... I mean, they make me look a hundred times more beautiful. I have to say I love false eyelashes as well, but the thing that I don't like, and I know this will happen, and it still happens every time, when I take them off... I remind myself that it's not a spider in the basin. I remind myself that it is not a spider in the basin, and then when I've washed them off and they're in the basin, I'm like, fuck, it's a spider! (laughs) Every time. Small price to pay. I'm a feminist, 
But even though I hate that little girls get judged on their appearance and are complimented on how they're dressed, I always buy my friends' two daughters clothes for their birthdays. Oh, people judged that. They didn't. <laughs> totally. I, I only have it's a son. It's a shame valve. This is what this is. We're exfoliating shame. It's like taking a large loofah into a shower and stepping out cleansed. That's what this is for. And I do... Like, is I, this terrible of Cal? Yes, obviously. <laughs> is she a bad feminist? Of my, course, that's the point. In my, in my defence, I've checked with their mum and I've checked with them if that's what they would like. They live in Tasmania, so there's only two shops. So... <laughs> you, two excellent shops in Tasmania. Okay, they have everything. If you are living in Tasmania and listening to this podcast, please tweet at Calbo with all of your problems about what she just said. Do not tweet at Guilt Film Pod or at Deborah FW. I just need that to be very clear. Hashtag Tasmania. Hashtag I didn't say it. The good thing about Deborah is she's always got your back. So I just know how angry Tasmanians get. No. I've upset them before, and I'm not going there again. Not for you, not for anybody. I am from New Zealand, which is the Tasmania of Tasmania, right? So I... Tasmania's a beautiful place where my friends live with their daughters, and they don't get access to as much shops as we do here. So I buy them clothes, and I don't buy them like cute little dresses. I buy them like funky little fake leather jackets and little silver puffer vests and things like that. I mean, we have to dress them like the village people. So it's not so bad now, is it? Now they're dressing like gay icons. But I, I think um, they are six and nine, and we share the same taste because I dress like a children's presenter. So, oh, no. but I'm fully aware that because I have a son, I don't get to dress a daughter in funky clothes. And yeah. I know that I'm living through. And but like when I compliment a child, if they're wearing something cool, I always go, "I like your style. I like what you have put on." Mm. Like rather than going, "You look pretty." Yes. So I'm desperately trying to justify the terrible thing that I'm doing. No, no, no. My favourite one... No, I shouldn't say my favourite child. That's not right. <laughs> one of my favourite children... I call her my coddaughter because she's not my goddaughter, but she's like a goddaughter. Please adopt this if you would like it. Uh, basically, you just see a child you like and you say, I'm your codmother. <laughs> no one can argue with it because it's cod, it's foe. You're their furry codmother. And, uh, uh, yeah, she just comes down in the most incredible outfits and she says, oh, I'm fabulous party Batgirl or something. And she's wearing, like, a bat cape and, like, a pink tutu. And, like, she just puts together these incredible outfits. She's like my style icon. I love that. I love that. I love people who are their own art. Yes. You know, like Iris Atfall, like, who's still doing it in the 90s and things like that. Yeah, she's like Iris, only she's seven. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a feminist, but I use Taylor Swift's Shake It Off and Taylor Swift's Why You Gotta Be So Mean as anthems to get past hostility from other serious academic feminists because sometimes pop feminists are the antidote to Twitter feminists. <laughs> Why you gotta be so mean? That's not right, is it? So it's not quite right. P- humming puppy people, you do it. Why you gotta be so mean? That's not the right to know. What is it? I don't, I don't know. I need to no, shake it off. off. I need to shake it off. Shake it off. Shake that's it that's it not off. right either. That's shaking Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> Do the hippy hippy shake. That's all, isn't it? Uh, all right. I'm a feminist, but when my eight-year-old son, who is quite shy, can't get to his locker at school because all the little confident girls keep pushing in, I'm torn between telling him to stand up for himself and worrying that if I do, I'm just raising another entitled white male. Oh. <laughs> but he's okay. always wearing a lovely dress, so that is great. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but someone showed me a photo and said, you look great in this, it's such a great photo of you. And I thought, 
if that is a genuinely a better than average representation of my looks, then I never want to leave the house again. There is nothing worse than someone telling you this is a good photo of you and you looking at it and going, that's a good, that's a good photo of me. It's such a horrifying, it's like a mirror to hell. So upsetting. I'm like, don't tell me what is a good photo of me. You can tell me you've got a photo of me, I will decide whether it's a good one. It's not for you to tell me if it's a good photo. I don't like it. I won't have it. Live from the Malt House in Melbourne, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, and guest co-host Cal Wilson. A very special guest, Carly Findlay, talking about language. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. And I am aware that's getting more ridiculous every time I say it, and there's nothing I can do about it. I don't know how to say it normally anymore. It's over for me. <laughs> Have you had more of a guilty day or a feminist day? I've been asking you all week, so I have to ask you about today. Um, guilty day, feminist day. Has my day been Carl. feminist? Um, my day, well, I went shopping, and uh, instead of doing more prep, I bought this dress, so I don't know what that means. I'm going to say feminist. Do you know why? It's bold. Uh, it radiates to you. If I were a men's rights activist, I'd be frightened right now. And just, I'll tell you, I'll tell you why else. Just through the sheer peacocks on the dress. I'll tell say, you why else it's feminist. What? It's got pockets. It's all we want. All we want. It's all we want. Listen, they don't know how much less we would accept if they gave us that. They don't know. They don't know. If they did know, they would make it happen. Because they would distract us for a good six months if everything had pockets. I mean, I mean the patriarchy. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I assume the patriarchy makes our clothes. It makes me. It makes me think of like you know, like if we just if we all had pockets, like the first six months would just be every woman talking to every other woman, going, "I've got pockets. I've got pockets." Yeah. Like it was like when mobile phones came in, and one of my friends got the first mobile phone in our friend circle, and we all went out and bought toy mobile phones because we were like, "What a fucking." Dickwad, who needs a mobile phone? And so every time she took a phone call, we'd be like, Now I'm having a phone call as well. And every single phone call started with, Guess where I am? I'm on the stairs. Uh, just made me think if we all got yeah. pockets, it would be like, I've got pockets, I've got one in the back and one in the front. You, I just, because I remember mobile phones coming in as well, and I just think there are some people in this audience for whom that is such vintage comedy. It's like, it's like if when we were 20, someone was yep. on stage going, I remember when the first car came into our town and we were all front seat, back seat, all right, Roger, and we were all on our horses just laughing at him and now they're everywhere. Another bit of uh, trivia from that time, my first job in television, we got the internet at work and all the writers were like, what do we need that for? Like, we couldn't see a reason for the internet and it also cost like $1.49 per minute to oh, use yes. it or something like that. You had to, you had to feed a meter. You had to wind it up. But we downloaded a recipe from the internet and then we went round to the head writer's place and his wife cooked it and it was like magic. <laughs> It's a recipe from this, the internet that's I, real. Okay, can I just say, this is not the most feminist story you've ever told. No, because... That the first thing you did with the internet was a recipe. That we made the head writer's wife cook. Oh, I, very disturbing.
disturbed by this story. But Surely you should have immediately looked up Patriarchy Smash. <laughs> like, that should have been the first thing, not know, bangers and mash. <laughs> patriarchy Smash sounds like some kind of uh, a variation on avocado, like you get it <laughs> a cafe. It it's very similar. <laughs> Can I have the um, Eggs Benedict with a side of smashed patriarchy? <laughs> the patriarchy smash, it's just avocado served on an old white guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I can't finish this. Can you take it back? I... <laughs> How's your day been? Has it been feminist or guilty? Mm. It's involved some self-care, so I'm going to say feminist. What does that mean? What is that a euphemism for? <laughs> That is very feminist. I meant yoga. Oh, okay. Yoga. I went to Humming Puppy in Pran and I did the 60-minute unified hum- yoga class. It's called class. Humming Puppy. <laughs> it's my favourite yoga studio. When I come to Melbourne, I stay in an Airbnb near the Humming Puppy humming in Pran. Humming Puppy. It's called Humming Puppy. Do you know why it's called Humming Puppy? Does anyone else go to Humming Puppy? Yeah. Come on, Humming Puppy, brothers and sisters. It hums, the walls hum. So you go in there to do yoga, and it's normally yoga studios all look like white and floaty. This is all black, it's all dark. And you go in, and out of the walls is coming this. You sound like you're in a condemned building by this description. (laughs) It's not really the right sound, is it? Can you do, anyone who goes, can you do the sounds? Oh, like a hum. A hum. It's like a puppy noise. A hum, as opposed to a kind of dystopian. mirror though isn't it it's great in a good way and you go in and it's all raked yoga mats so that if you're at the back row you can look down on the teacher it's like a theater and you go in there and you do an hour of (laughs) 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 it's not like the Loch Ness Monster it's it's uh, it's more of a thank you and it's amazing and you come out feeling like a new person and do you get a free puppy at the end like is that with a puppy no you're, the puppy is a position there's a puppy position oh. in yoga that makes you feel very good is it just putting your nose in someone's crotch <laughs> I've got pockets Deborah. I've got pockets they have emboldened you oh. in ways that they should not have <laughs> I this is what happens when you give women the vote. <laughs> you need a lot of content, and so I end up just saying stuff that's true, that I think later, <laughs> regrettable. <laughs> too many people know that now. And sometimes they email me and explain how what I said was right or wrong or they also have that problem. It's, it's nice though, isn't it? It's confronting oh, for it's you. Oh, it's No, it's really lovely, nice. Lovely to know that they're it's being lovely collected. that people relate. No, it is lovely, but sometimes I go, I can't even believe I told my best friend that. <laughs> it appears that I've told Peter from Havisham that. <laughs> and it's really changed his life. It's good news, Peter from Havisham. And also, I should say, I need to find a way to reply to every email, and I don't have that way yet. I need to find someone to help me or something. I know what to do. You just reply to every single email with LOL. (laughs) Some people are saying really sad stuff, Cal. Some people are saying this particular episode moved me because I had a traumatic incident, and then they describe the traumatic incident, and I'm really moved that they're telling me that, and they're sharing that with me. I think if I just write back a blanket lol, I'm going to be very disappointed. I can see the floor in my plant. Yeah. 
Can you see? What about lol or crying emoji? I can't, I can't even see the plan on your floor. It's just floor. Um, we can go back to talking about yoga again if you want to. No, we've got to talk about language. We've got to talk about language a little bit. There was a really interesting article in The Guardian about language the binary nature of language, that through feminism, we're starting to invent language like mansplaining and manspreading, or she-o, mm. oh. girl boss. Yeah, oh. awful things. Uh, but um, I mean, girl boss is a Netflix show, so I guess, I don't know, maybe it's ironic. Whatever. Um, here would be happy to run a company and be referred to as the girl boss. <laughs> oh, just the guy. But the sort of manspreading, manspreading. When I read this, I thought, oh, it's given me pause. Because I've added two to that lexicon. I mean, I don't know that they've really taken off, but I feel like they will. I feel like they will. One is mansploring, which is a genuine phenomenon. What's mansploring? Well, it's when I go to the counter in a pub uh, to check that they're serving food, and they say, we're not serving food anymore. And I come back, and my husband says, oh, I'm going to get some, I'm like, oh, they're not serving food anymore. And he goes, Oh, no, they will be. And I'm like, no, just ask. And he then goes and explores further. Because he doesn't believe me. Oh, there's a word And it's all very well. It's all very well when it's lunch at the counter. But when it's my fucking handbag. I mean, I'm like, well, I'll just check in case you have got a charger in your handbag. I would know if I had a charger in my handbag. Stop transferring in my handbag. That's a great word. Yeah. What's the word for this? Uh, when I was convinced we had a gas leak, it was like I could smell gas outside our front door, and it was my husband because he was inside. Yeah. Uh, what a cheap joke I just made up. Uh, so I was convinced I could smell gas coming from outside our house. Yeah. And my husband was like, nah, nah, nah. Um, and I was like, no, I can totally smell it. I was like, nah, you're just imagining things. I was like, I can totally yes, smell it. Yes. Then there were two guys doing something with a gas line down the road, and I was like, can you just come over here and tell me if we've got a gas leak? And they've got you've totally got a gas leak. Okay, do you know what I'm going to call that? He Nile. <laughs> They just go, no. Oh. I still have no moments with men in my life that I lie awake at night and think about being no dominance. I'm just like, I'm just like no. And you know that it's true. I know 100 percent that it's true. See, I've kind of I have a kind of a, a crossover thing here too. My, my husband is a beautiful man, by the way. He's lovely. He is by far my favourite husband. Um, uh, and I've had several. I've only had two. This one seems to have caught. Uh, so but I have anxiety, and so what we've got into is um, he just dismisses any concern that I have as anxiety. But the thing is, with anxiety, sometimes you're right. Same as paranoia. Sometimes yeah. they are all after you. Yeah. <laughs> but it'll be something like I'll be like, I'll express a concern, and be like, that's just your anxiety. But like, no, really, I don't think our child should be paragliding off the roof. Like, <laughs> In terms of our language, are we creating a further binary society by noticing gender trends and then just like imposing it and saying, well, that's what you do? Because if that's what you do, it's like saying, telling a child they're naughty. Then they think, well, a naughty child does naughty things. Whereas if you say, that's naughty, but you're a well-behaved child, I'm sure that's not the right language we're meant to use either. I'm sure we're just meant to say, you're you, everything is fine. I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I love you, but I don't like your behaviour. Yeah. Is that what you meant to yes, say? Yes, what you meant to say. I love you, but I don't like your behaviour. Whereas I'm just but like, what, what about, are you doing? <laughs> what about when you don't love 
them though, because you, in that moment, you think, I wish I'd never had you. You're, you've ruined my life. My life was so much better before you came in, and now I'm just a slave to your whims. And if I could turn back time, I definitely would. So I have to pretend I love you, and that things. Because people always say, "Well, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it any other way," but they're saying that while crying and filming. <laughs> I reckon you should probably hold off telling your kid that until I don't know, maybe their birthday or something like that. Just like... I, I mean, I have no children, so I, it's possible that I'm, my view on this is skewed. But... The, thing is, like, the thing about that is, like, as a parent, I try to be measurable. I say to my son, but he does not have that restriction. And so, like, uh, I asked him to wash his hands, and he went, "You've ruined my life. I'm going to my room." Like that. Like that was just. He was not like, "Oh, this might upset mum." And then you like, you just like, you go, "Can you brush your hair?" And be like, "I hate you. This is the worst day of my life." It's. A parent-child relationship is an abusive relationship. The parent-child contract is this. I worked it out the other day, it's this. One of you says, I will never leave you. And the other one says, let's test that, shall we? Every single day. Every day of your child's life, they're testing the idea that you will never leave them. And they're doing things that if anybody else did them, oh. not only would you leave, your friends would stage an intervention. <laughs> my son is the only person in the world who I have ever let vomit into my eye. <laughs> it wasn't a thing, I wasn't like, you know, this you is a trust exercise. What? He said, may I? You no, no, he, just, he was just standing in his cot until he was about two, and he was just crying, and I went in to see him, and he just looked at me and went, and just like vomited all over my face. I don't think you let him, I think he did it, and well, you have to tell yourself retrospectively that it was your choice. Thrown him away. Like, I could have like, ah, but I held on him as he, <laughs> As I said, it's an abusive relationship. <laughs> So recently, I was doing some writing, and uh, one of those messages in the other box popped up in Facebook and distracted me. You know the other messages? It's like, you don't know this person, but they've decided they know you. <laughs> and uh, the message was from what appeared to be a young man, and it simply said, make me a sandwich. <laughs> Now, if you don't know, this is a traditional opener from a men's rights activist to a feminist. Make me a sandwich. And I thought, I could just ignore this, or I could write something rude, or maybe I could use language to see if I could have a meaningful discussion with this young man. <laughs> and it went something like this. Well, it went exactly like this. Him. Make me a sandwich. Me. Sorry, have we met? Is it possible you meant to message your mother? <laughs> Him. Lol, you belong in the kitchen. Me. That's where I am now. <laughs> it's one of various rooms in my house. I'm pretty comfortable here. Him. Do you like the bedroom? Oh. 
me. It's being painted right now, so I'm looking forward to that being done. <laughs> Him, feminism is cancer. <laughs> me, how so? <laughs> Him, no reply. <laughs> me, sorry, what do feminism and cancer have in common? Him, you're a man-hater. <laughs> me, some of my favorite husbands are men. Him, lesbian. <laughs> Me, briefly in university. <laughs> Married to a straight man now, bit dull, isn't it? Him, it must be for him if you're a feminazi. Me, oh, that might be the confusion. I'm a feminist, not a feminazi. Him, same thing. Me, how so? <laughs> Him, you want men dead. Me, gosh, do you want women dead? Him, no. Me, well, we're the same then. We don't want anyone dead. <laughs> do you want men and women to have the same rights? Or do you think one deserves more rights than the other? Him, I don't want anything. It's you that wants to take from men. Me, what do you think I'd like to take from you? What do you have that I might want? <laughs> Kim, our jobs, our children, our dicks. <laughs> me, me, I definitely don't want random children or unknown dicks. Job and it looks like you live in America, so I probably won't take yours. What do you do? Him, I'm at high school. <laughs> Me, I've had that job. Wasn't that great, to be honest? Winky face. <laughs> Him, high school and feminism both suck. <laughs> Me, I think high school can suck more. If feminism was the idea that men and women should have the same, would you hate it? Him, no, but it isn't. <laughs> me, it is for me, so maybe you like my sort of feminism. <laughs> Him, feminists only care about women. Boys get circumcised too, and feminists don't care about that. They only care if it's girls. Me, tell me about why male circumcision is a bad thing. Have you got an article I could read, or is there a page I could donate of a charity you support? Him, you're not like the other feminists. <laughs> You're a reasonable one. <laughs> Me, do you think all men's rights activists are reasonable all the time? Him, not all of them. <laughs> Me, so maybe it's just that some people are unreasonable and it's not about women or men. Him, maybe. <laughs> Me, I hope you meet some more feminists you like. I know loads of cool ones. Some of the cool ones might not seem cool if you start by insulting them, though. So maybe ask them something else, like what they like about feminism or whether they'll support your men's cause. Some of them are super helpful. Him. Okay. <laughs> Me. Basically, the feminists I know think society would be better if it were represented by the people who are in it. Do you think if half the people are men and half the people are women, that all the people who make the decisions should be men? Him. 
No, I think it's fair that everyone is represented. Me, cool. So maybe you're more of a feminist than you think. <laughs> Him, lol. <laughs> She challenges people's thinking about what it's like to have a visibly different appearance. Please welcome to the stage the wonderful Carly Finlay! So Carly, tell us, why do you identify as disabled first? She told me to ask her that. I felt like it was a really confrontational question. <laughs> like, I was trying to set the scene. Carly, how are you today? I'm going back. I'm going back. For the edit. Hi, how are you? I'm well. How are you? Good. Good. You <laughs> <laughs> are like a feminist but. Yes. Go on, tell us. What is it? I'm a feminist but I'm really glad that my skin condition means that I still look about 17. Uh, so I would never age. <laughs> Because you posted on Facebook the other day your high school photo and a photo of you now and it was literally like you'd just taken off the tie and it was the <laughs> same photo. Yeah, um, I got invited to my high school reunion, like 19 years, clearly they can't count. But anyway, it's, it's <laughs> um, hideous. It was hell at high school, it was hell in that Facebook group for half a day. <laughs> so anyway, I, I was... You know, every time I spoke in there, people would leave or people would ignore me. It was just like high school. Anyway, so I just trolled them and I made that, <laughs> made that photo collage and I put a photo of me um, 20 years ago and me now. And then I said, hey, so this is me 20 years ago. This is me now. I'd love to see what you look like. <laughs> no one said a word. So funny. <laughs> Can you just uh, tell us why you identify as disabled? Yeah, sure. So for me, um, disability... Smooth. That was smooth, wasn't it? That was smooth. <laughs> smooth segue. Sorry, I just... Because I, I asked you and I haven't done the preamble, and then I just... Yeah, sorry. I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> um, I identify as being disabled because disability is a part of identity, like gender, sexuality, race, culture, religion, uh, all of those things. Uh, so disability is okay to have as an identity. Uh, it's not a bad thing, you can say the word, it's fine. You don't have to shy away from it. You don't have to say special needs, no handicapable, please no. <laughs> <laughs> Just say the word disabled or disability. I identify because, well, I was born with a skin condition, so that's my impairment, but I am disabled by society. And mostly, not so much by, um, you know, our traditional access needs, like um, ramps and stairs and things like that. But I am disabled by people's attitudes. How does that work? Um, people are quite small-minded. Um, I was just saying in the green room before, they, you know, some people don't know how to speak to someone that looks like me or someone in a wheelchair or someone that's blind. Either they don't say anything or they say something really silly. 
It, it sort of seems to me, we were talking about this before, Carly, that um, sometimes people are so worried about offending you that they just say something incredibly offensive, like they're trying to kind of overcompensate. Like, because you, you were talking about your experience last night. I don't, do you want to talk about <laughs> yeah. it? Uh-huh. Yeah, please tell us. Yeah, I delivered a speech for International Women's Day last night, and um, I talked about media representation and how people with disability are often exploited, and also how people like me are dehumanised in the media. We're called headlines like snakeskin woman and mermaid baby and things. Anyway, so I talked all about that and I delivered some statistics and I talked about my book and, you know, overall I was quite, you know, I'd like to think I was quite intelligent. A a woman came up to me afterwards and, you know, and I want to preface it by saying the majority of people I met last night were great and the council was great and everything. But this woman came up to me and she was just stroking my arm like this. And then she said, oh, great speech. And she kept on stroking. And and then she says, would you like me to scratch you? (laughs) (laughs) Just like just a cat hole. Blows my mind. Why would anyone be so intrusive to someone they weren't in an intimate relationship with? I feel like that's something for a very much for a romantic partner. Yeah. But someone you've been dating for, I'd say, at least six months. Yeah, yeah. That's not a fourth date. Can I scratch you? do a poo on the fourth day. <laughs> okay. My condition is that I cannot talk about scatology in any form. <laughs> yeah, no, I find it, it very It difficult. just makes it more enjoyable to no, talk about. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it makes it less enjoyable. Okay, less okay enjoyable. so I don't like poo either, it's fine. Thank you, good. Well, let's stop talking okay. about it. <laughs> I've got an eight-year-old son, I've got no choice. Okay. Uh, so when you told me that story for the first time, I just could not, like I was so gobsmacked that someone would be so ludicrous as to offer to scratch you. And I was like, I can't even think of a comeback. Like I can't, because usually I'm quite good at like, and I thought about it all afternoon, and what I could come up with was, when she offered to scratch you, that if you turned around and went, yeah, can you do my arms? Like, <laughs> just like, like, how are you not constantly telling people to fuck off? Like, <laughs> do you? Yeah. What do you say? Just fuck off. No way. How do you? What is a good and constructive way to talk to people about, for example, ableist language? Do you have? You must be an expert in this. Mm. Uh, so, firstly, I guess if I want to address those intrusive questions, can I? Well, firstly, I say. Um, you don't really know me, do you really think that's an appropriate question, or we haven't met, um, that's really intrusive of you, do you want to say hello first? <laughs> uh, so yeah, that. but how do I ha- handle ableist language? Um, well, ableist language firstly is a lot of disability slurs. The R word, the M word, the other M word. <laughs> Could you say what those words are, because I don't think we know them. Oh, oh, we know the R word. The R word, yeah. Okay, I'll say the other words. Okay. Moron, midget. In other words, like crazy and mental and spastic. And could please put a content warning on this around ableist language if that's all right. Um, Because I don't condone this, but Mm -mm. I'm going to say it. No, it's important that we know. Because I think I would say, oh, I was sitting in traffic and I was going crazy because I just thought we're not going to be at the theatre in time. Now, I would say that, and I wouldn't think that someone with mental health issues would think that I was using a slur about Mm. mental health or like, oh, it was insane. Like, I I might say that. Like red tape. I might might say, you know, it took me four hours of form filling out and then they said we hadn't done it right. I mean, it's insane. Is that something that can 
hurt or can marginalise. I think even when it's not intended towards disabled people, the context and the history of the words, especially around the medicalised words like the R word, like moron, that can really hurt because traditionally those words were used in medical settings and a lot of the people were institutionalised or not allowed the same kinds of equality that we are allowed today. And even so, you know, people with disability, or sorry, disabled people still are institutionalised and othered and not given the opportunities that we are. I find it such a minefield, and I know that my minefield, my non-disabled mindfield, and I was told not to say able-bodied because sometimes disabilities are not in their body, so I was saying non-disabled. My non-disabled mindfield is nothing as compared to the way that disabled people get treated and marginalised every single day, so I need to get over it. But what words can I use? Because as a comedian, sometimes you need to be hyperbolic. So somebody on this show, uh, she referred to PTSD in a hyperbolic way. It was an exaggeration. And someone wrote in, and the comedian question said, well, I've got anxiety. So if I say it caused anxiety, there'll be people with anxiety who'll say, that's a problem. So what can we say in terms of art and in terms of comedy? What are useful words to use? that still make the joke work or still give us the emotion. Like if I'm sitting in traffic and I'm going, this is crazy. Mm. Like what, surely we, we should be able to get, well, what should I say? Bananas? I don't know. Bananas. <laughs> Bananas. Willie Winslanders um. write to me. It's <laughs> <laughs> made me feel very upset because my banana crop was just wiped out. There's this a really great website called Autistic Hoya who has a list of alternative oh. language. What's that website? Autistic Hoya. Autistic Hoya? Yes, and if you Google Autistic Hoya and H -O language, H-O-Y-A. Okay, I'm going to do that right now. And, um, what they are. Yeah, there's great examples there, but you know, it is really hard, and even when people don't intend it, it can still um, hurt. And I know when I, I feel, sorry, I feel rude doing this. Could somebody else turn their phone on and Google Autistic Hoya <laughs> and get ready to read out some words that are useful, because I can't be Googling while I'm on stage. Uh, who's going to do that? Okay, what's your name? Naomi. Naomi. So Naomi's going to do that for us. Thank you, Naomi. Thank you. You know, when I'm sitting in the movies and the R word is used, and it has been in, in probably the last four or five movies I've seen, and people laugh, like the laughter is as hurtful as the word itself. And I went to see um, Three Billboards in Ebbing, Missouri, which was, I thought it was a relatively well-made film and addressed a lot of issues around racism. But every time Peter Dinklage's character was on, he was called an M word, and people were laughing. You know? It's reinforcing outdated ways of thinking about someone. Mm -hmm. And I totally get what you mean. Like when someone makes a joke about you and everyone else condones it by laughing, that is a terrible feeling. Mm. And I think it's challenging. Like I didn't realise that moron was a, an aimless word until you brought it up, I think, in a post. And I was like, oh, wow. So now, like you're saying, Deborah, like what do I say? But it's what harm does it do to me to figure out a new way of talking about something when it's making somebody else's life better. Like, I kind of go, what is the harm? Like, sure, you, you've got to think about stuff, but, like, what are we really complaining about? Oh, I've had to wipe my vocabulary. It's so <laughs> 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 On the Three Billboards issue, because it's fiction, and I think a lot of that film was about the nature of living in a small town in America, and if you are a woman, you're not listened to, and if you are a person of colour, you're going to be beaten up by the police. And lots of people of colour had issues with that because the black people in the movie were not centred. Mm -hmm. And there was a redemption plot for the white cop who was torturing black people, but it wasn't a redemption plot that really involved other black people. So all sorts of people had issues with that film. And I'm sure that the filmmaker, Mark McDonough, who's a brilliant man, was not intending any of that. All of our work is problematic. And I'm sure he will listen and take those things on board. But if... <laughs> if I, no, I do 
I don't think he will. But the how do you demonstrate that somebody who is is it, is it right to the little person? Is that right? Yeah, or yeah. Has dwarfism. Has dwarfism. So a man who has dwarfism in Ebbing, Missouri, in a small town, is somebody who's being marginalised. So how do we demonstrate that? How do we show that? Do you see what I mean? Without, because Peter Dinklage obviously wanted to take that role. Yeah. So, and he obviously had a connection with that character and a connection with the way the character was treated. But so. he has said in the past that he no longer wanted to be um, marginalised in such roles and he no longer wanted to be the butt of the jokes. And I, when I was researching it for a piece I was writing, I haven't written it yet because I'm very tired of these words, <laughs> um, I, yeah, I saw that he, he said a few years ago he did not want to do roles that belittle him. Yeah, he did. And I get it. Like, I get that he has to demonstrate it and only he could demonstrate it. You couldn't have someone else cripping up. But I think that... Can you say cripping up? I can say cripping okay. up. Okay. Good. No, 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 no. Sorry. What? So cripping up. You can say, I can't say. I've just taken a note. Thank you. And I think it's about, you know, ownership of language, that kind of ownership. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, you're right in that he needed to demonstrate that. But it's also how often did he have to be shown in that situation? And how could the filmmaker get the audiences to react in a different way? I mean, I gasped. The audience laughed. Because the audience doesn't see it. They don't see these microaggressions. They don't see the, you know, I mean, last night when the lady was scratching me on the arm, the people that were around me who I just met were very well-meaning and they were sort of saying, oh, but maybe she was just being concerned. Maybe, and I said, no, look, I can pick this kind of stuff, you know. So when it piles on you day after day, this ableism, this microaggression and discrimination, you can pick that. So perhaps in three billboards they could have just done it once and somehow had another scene to make the audience actually feel like, well, this is wrong, like they felt that the racism was wrong. Well, I think what Peter Dinklage, I imagine Mark Donna thought, was that the final scene where he turns to her... Is this a spoiler? Not that I care about whether it's a spoiler for a movie, but I'm just... It's, um, I mean, it's not a spoiler that ruins the film, but the final scene when he's on a date with Frances McDormand mm. and he turns to her and he fronts her with how she's treating him. I feel is him saying, don't treat me like this and don't belittle me. Mm. So I feel like he was trying to demonstrate that in a way. But I also understand if you have a disability and you're watching it, you're feeling like, again, this is how this person is portrayed. So maybe it's not that we need that never to be shown, but we also need to be shown Peter Dinklage in a role where he's just a guy. Yeah. He's just delivering the post or he's just, waiting on the table or being the mafia boss mm -hmm. and it's not referenced. Yeah, exactly. And if we saw more of that, then it would be, it would feel more okay to disabled watchers when they saw this particular portrayal of someone in a small town being marginalised and having to stand up for himself. Exactly. Is that fair? Yeah, I just, that's really fair. Um, another thing that I'm really interested in, Carly, is that you are an activist and so a lot of what you do is kind of educating people, but you are also in a position where people expect you to educate them kind of in your spare time. Like, like how do you deal with that when, like, it shouldn't be your job to... to We're paying her tonight, just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> she is educating us, but we are giving her a paycheck that is not large, but respectful. <laughs> Yeah, there's so much of that. Uh, I can't even begin to tell you how much. Uh, like on Facebook, you know, today I got someone asking me, why do I look the way I do? And then I gave them a little, or they said, oh, I'm not being mean or anything, I'm just concerned. And then I, like I haven't thought. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, did you? No. <laughs> no. Hey, I'm just concerned for you. Just 
I, yeah, I don't know if you know. What kind of person is concerned? So just fill me in so I'm not concerned about you. It's just extraordinary. And so, you know, I've got an autoresponder on, so when I'm at work, people don't expect to, you know, response. And it has a thing. If you want to know more about ichthyosis, you can go here. So then, she still hadn't, like, responded. So this morning, I left a message to say, hey, whatever your name is, here's a bit of information about my skin condition, and, and that's it. I might have put a smiley face. Anyway, she gave me a thumbs up, not even a thank you, a thumbs up. And then I said, do you really think a thumbs up is acceptable? <laughs> yeah, um, and you know, and then, and then... the use of language then, isn't it? Her language used to be, thank you for explaining Exactly. That. That's very kind. Yes. I, I will read more about it. Mm. And then there's people who perhaps don't feel like I've answered it in the way they want because it makes them feel uncomfortable. So a person, oh, a person a few weeks ago asked if I, um, their mother have raised them not to look at anyone with a disability, so you must look away. And then so she said, but you say that you don't want to be stared at, Carly, so what do I do? Anyway, so she messaged me at about 11 o'clock on a Saturday night. <laughs> 11 o'clock on the Sunday night when I still hadn't written back because it had been a big weekend. Yeah, uh, you might have been drinking. <laughs> So, <laughs> for the whole 24 hours. I wasn't. But anyway, otherwise you would have been responding to people on Facebook asking rude questions. <laughs> I would have probably been doing shots to come back. Yes. <laughs> that should be your general responder. Make me a sandwich. Um, yeah, so, so when I, I said to her, you know, um, well, no, I firstly used her first thing to, to, I'm writing a book and it's called Say Hello, and I thought, I'll, I'll use that question in the, the introduction to my book. Anyway, she messaged me the next night at about the same time. She says, well, I take it from your response. I shouldn't look at anyone then, because you didn't even respond. And, <laughs> and so because I didn't respond, she's now no longer going to look at any disabled person, because I've just set that precedent. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. And then I responded to tell her how rude she was. No response. <laughs> I was saying she, she wasn't looking at you. She wasn't looking at you. Not to say that people look at them but don't stare. That's just the same for everyone, though. Because if you stared at anybody, if you're just sitting on the bus and someone was like... <laughs> it would make you uncomfortable. Yeah. So, and you would start yeah. to shift away. But if someone was like... <laughs> You'd be like, why are you doing that? Like, just be like normal, just be like normal. It surely is the thing. But mother's saying, never look. I think maybe her mother said, don't stare. Well, I have and she's taken her. that as look away, like it's yeah. the of the covenant. I had a look at her Facebook <laughs> picture, and it, she looked a lot older than me. I mean, she could have been 18, I don't know, because I look 17. But, you know, she could have been in her 60s. But the late really great... rubbing that into your friends. <laughs> All your school friends. Like. The late great Stella Young, who you mm, might know, a comedian, yes. she has this great quote that she said, you know, if you're just sitting next to us on the train or serving us our coffee, you do not need to know. Like, what, what's it going to make a difference to you? You do not need to know. I've actually quoted that a number of times to people, you know, and then told them to go look up Stella. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to know. It's not you don't make need. A yeah, you don't need that information. But also, like anybody, again, like anybody's medical history, sort of like what? You like, know. what's my lifespan? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Carly told me that at the back. Someone said, "What's your lifespan?" Like she's a budgie. <laughs> <laughs> what's your lifespan? I don't know. I've not lived it yet. <laughs> I mean, if you could look at my tea leaves, maybe you could tell me. Fuck you. <laughs> Awful. What's your lifespan? Oh, there's been worse. What? Tell us. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was
was on a date with this guy, or I thought it was a date, it might not have been a date to him, but anyway, I was on a date with this guy. <laughs> I've been on one of those. Yeah. I've also been on one where I realised it was a date and I was like, oh no. <laughs> he doesn't know I'm married. And then you have to subtly say my husband in the middle of the starter and watch their face. And then you really do need to stare. Um, sorry, go on. You were uh, on a date. I was on a date with this guy and uh, I thought he was he, I thought he was an alright guy. He worked in disability, which is a bit worrying really. Anyway, he said to me that you know he wasn't comfortable with my activism and that should have been a kind of a flag. But then he said, you know, oh look, I couldn't handle looking like you. I top myself. Oh, on the date. Wow. Yeah, I didn't marry him. <laughs> Spoiler. Guilty Feminists, it's Deborah Francis-White from the Guilty Feminists briefly interrupting your podcast to let you know about some upcoming activities. On the 1st of October, we will be in Dublin at the Vicar Street Theatre and Alison Spitter will be co-hosting that podcast. Please come along, it's going to be a very exciting night. On the 10th of October, we will be in London at the Barbican. It'll be another really big show like the Palladium. It's a 2,000-seater. Please get your tickets now. It will be all singing, all dancing, and will include, in fact, a performance by Suffragettan, as well as lots of your favourite Guilty Feminist comedians. On the 20th of October, we will be at the Liverpool Playhouse. And you can see details of all these upcoming shows at guiltyfeminist.com. I have written a book, which I'm very excited about. It's got lots and lots of new material about uh, my views on contemporary feminism and guilty feminism, as well as a few old favourites that people have asked for to have in print. You can order it from Waterstones and you can go to guiltyfeminist.com and click on book to find out how to do that. It's coming out in September. If you're international, you might want to go to amazon.co.uk. I am doing some book tour events in September when the book is released. The events that are sold out now are the ones in London, Manchester, Leeds and Glasgow. But there are still tickets for the book events in Brighton, Liverpool and Birmingham. It's £20 a ticket, but you get a hardback book included in the price. And I will be on stage talking about the book, being interviewed about the book, doing a reading from the book. And I'm happy to sign your book afterwards and say in it anything you like. So please come along to one of those events if you can. The book will be out September 6th and all of the events are in September. Check them out at guiltyfeminist.com. Our shows are currently sold out at the Edinburgh Fringe this year, but watch this space for some exciting news coming your way very soon. And in the meantime, if you are heading up to the Edinburgh Festival Fringe, please go to guiltyfeminist.com and click on the link that says Guilty Feminist Alumni, because you will find that lots and lots of our regular guest co-hosts and some of your favourite guests over the two years are appearing this year and have solo shows and sketch shows up at the Edinburgh Fringe, which you'll be able to see. So if you're booking your ticket, don't forget to click that link and find all our wonderful Guilty Feminist friends and performers up there. Today, the 23rd of July at 5.30pm, I'm going to see The Half at the Etc. Theatre in Camden. It's written by the wonderful Danielle Ward and it features the fantastic Margaret Cable-Smith, who some of you will know from The Guilty Feminist, and the brilliant Anna Crilly, who you'll know from Anna and Katie on the television. I'm going to see this as a preview for Edinburgh. And then in the evening at 7.30pm, uh, we're going to discuss it at the Guilty Feminist at King's Place. So if you're coming along to that evening show and you'd like to see the preview, please meet me at the Etc. 
at half past five. Tickets are £5.50. Or if you're not coming to the Guilty Feminist, but you think it sounds interesting, it's a brilliant two-hander about a female double act who are meeting up years later. Danielle Ward's writing is always very, very funny and clever and brilliant. So I think you'd really enjoy it. So hope to see you today at 5.30 at the Etc. Theatre if you're listening to this on Monday. Back to the podcast. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Please welcome to the stage the wonderful Callum Wilson. So I love language. I love words. I love the power of words. There are words that I love and words that I hate. One of my favourite words is feminist because it's a magic word. Because when you say feminist to a a straight guy, the word that he hears is (laughs) man-hater. Like it's magical. I don't know, maybe it's my accent or something. I don't know what it is. But I, I love the conversations you have when you say to someone, I'm a feminist, and he'll go, oh yes, you hate men. And you go, no, 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 I'm a feminist. We just want equality. And you go, yep, yep, I heard you, you hate men. And you go, no, no, I just, I just want equality. And he goes, yeah, I got it, you hate men. And you're like, no, no, I just, we just want equality. Yep, yep, I got it, I heard you, you hate men. It's like, no, no, we just want equality. That is, we literally just want equality. Yep, I got it, you're a man hater. And like, it's the one time in my life when I wish uh, straight dudes would just take things at face value. <laughs> oh, you said you wanted equality. So I thought you wanted equality. Like, just that, just take it. That's just great. Just do that. That's literally all we want. Um, I hate the word feisty. I hate any word that is applied to a woman that a guy doesn't get. Like, you never hear a man called feisty, do you? Never hear a man called feisty, but women are feisty. You hear it all the time. Oh, she's feisty, isn't she? Oh, she's a feisty one. She's feisty, feisty, feisty. Oh, she's so feisty. Oh, feisty. (laughs) What they're really saying is... Cross, but manageable. (laughs) That's what they're saying. They're saying, you look angry, but I reckon I could take you. That's what they are saying. Uh, You're talking about girl power before. I don't like the word girl power. Like, when you hear the word horsepower, you think power. But when you hear the word girl power, you think girl. Like, I just, I don't like it. I feel like it's like, oh, I want equality. 
Nazi, they're not too much. I won't finish it. <laughs> I don't <laughs> like it. Fuck the Spice Girls. Uh, that's super Victoria. I love her. I can't explain why, but I just fucking love Victoria. I don't know why. I hate it when people uh, tell me that I'm such a mum. I love being a mother. I love it I'm specifically just to my kid. I'm not really interested in anyone else's. But I love, I love my son. I love being his mum. But I really hate it when people attribute character traits that I have to me being a mum. Like we were at a pub the other day and uh, we were doing a gig. And after the gig, I just picked up all the glasses that we'd had on stage and I took them over to the bar. And a friend that I was with went, oh, look at you, you're such a mum. And it's like, no, I'm just not an asshole. <laughs> someone in my uterus, like it's not because I've had some kind of tenant that I know how to be nice to people. I have conflicted feelings about the word slut, right? I hate the word slut, but the thing is I love the word slut. Like I hate what it means, but I love the sound that it makes. Like it's such, it's such a, like slut, what a great sounding word. Like it sounds like, it sounds like you are slapping a piece of wet salmon down on a bench. Slut! Like that's what it sounds like, right? Slut, slut, it's such a great sound, but I hate I hate what it means. I hate that it's a judgment against a woman on the autonomy of her own body. I, I hate it when you hear a guy call a woman a slut. Because really what he's saying is, he feels left out. <laughs> he's sad that she picked everyone else but him. That's what she said. He's sad about that. It's like, it's like he said all over again. But what I really hate is I hate when a woman calls another woman a slut. Because you are just judging her for a hobby that you don't have. <laughs> climbing, but I don't look at the climber and go, oh, you summit slag. Like, just... <laughs> a woman's allowed to do whatever she likes. Like, I don't believe that there is such a thing as a slut. It's just someone who enjoys their own body. When I was thinking about this, I was walking around my house and I was saying slut to myself several times, and after you keep saying the word slut, it starts to sound a bit weird. And I was walking around going slut, 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 slut. And then I was like, when you say it like that, when you keep going slut, 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 it starts to sound like someone walking in corduroy trousers. <laughs> or someone in snowboarding pants. Slut, 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 And it's just quite an annoying sound. You're like, oh, Brian, can you take those off? I can hear you slutting all over the house. <laughs> I mean, I guess what I'm trying to do is rehabilitate the word slut so the next time you hear it, you're annoyed by the thought of someone keeping their legs together. <laughs> swearing. I find swearing really enjoyable. I think it's a beautiful condiment to language. Like I think a little swear word peppered in places is a great way to emphasise stuff. I find that there's nothing more satisfying. Like what could be more satisfying than stringing a whole lot of swear words together? Like when you've jammed your finger in a drawer. Like what could be more, more satisfying than just going, oh you piss face, son of a bitch bag. Like it's just exquisite. Like the pleasure, the pleasure I get. Like if I've dinged the car or something like that. If I can just go, oh you like how delicious, like it's delicious. I find swearing so delicious and I try not to do it around my son. But the other night we were getting, he was getting ready for bed and I was having a chat to him, we were catching up on the day and he goes, mum, I know swear words. And I was like, oh, do you mate? And the thing is, right, I am always honest with my son. I try to be as honest as I can. And no one told me how much I would enjoy being honest to him. But also no one told me how much I would enjoy lying to him as well. <laughs> Big stuff. I'm not like, Haha, he's not your real dad. Like, I'm not. <laughs> I don't mean about stuff like that, but sometimes it's just fun to lie a little bit, right? So he's lying in his bed, he's got his pajamas on, and we're talking, he goes, Mum, I know swear words. 
And I was like, do you mate, what do you know? And he goes, I know shit. And I went, yep, that is a swear word. And then he goes, and I know fuck. And I went, that is also a swear word. And then he goes, and I know the C word. And I went, shit. older before he learned that there's a really ugly word for quite a nice part of the body. Like, and I was like, what's the C word, mate? And he goes, crap. <laughs> and I went, yep, that is it. That's the C word. <laughs> Don't let me hear you say that around the place. Oh, that is terrible. And then he asked me another question. And because I was still busy celebrating that crap was the C word, I didn't pay enough attention to the question he was asking me because he asked me, he said, mum, is worst swear word. And because I wasn't concentrating, I said, no. <laughs> and then I added, it's the third worst swear word. Why would I add that into the universe? Why would I put that out? Because like, in my head I'm going, fuck motherfucker cunt. That's what I'm doing, right? That is my, that is my value judgment on what bad swear words are. And then of course he wants to know what the worst swear word is. And I'm like, well, I can't tell you, mate. And he's like, I need to know for research. And I'm like, I can't. <laughs> him into a conversation about how old he was going to have to be before he was allowed to swear. And I said he could say anything he wanted at 25. <laughs> and he goes, that's too old mum, what about 20? <laughs> and I said you drive a hard bargain but alright. <laughs> and then he goes, he goes, what about if I'm 19 and it's my birthday tomorrow? <laughs> What do you say? And he goes, oh, shit. <laughs> and then, because he got a mind like a steel trap, he got back on track again. He wanted to know what the world's worst swear word was. And so, in the end, I went, all right. I'll tell you the world's worst swear word. I'll tell you the very worst swear word in the world. But you must not say this at school. You must not say this anywhere else. You can only say it to me. You can only say it in this room. You can't even tell your dad what the swear word is. We don't, we don't have secrets in our family. We have happy surprises. <laughs> about birthdays but I widened it out. Uh, so, <laughs> so you must not tell anyone else in the world the swear word but I will tell you the worst swear word in the world. Are you sure you want to know? He goes yes I do. I mean, are you sure? He goes yes I, mean, I can't believe I'm going to tell you. The world's worst swear word is Fromstable. <laughs> and he went really? And I went yes. And he goes is that a real word? And I said yes. And he goes Fromstable. And I went oh don't say it. I can't believe you're here. <laughs> and then he goes what does it mean? And I was like, shit, I hadn't thought that far. <laughs> and then I saw a bookie on the ground and a picture of a pirate on it. So I went, Frostable means pirate's bottom. <laughs> and he went, no, it doesn't. A swear word wouldn't mean pirate's bottom. And I went, well, shit means poo. And he was like, what the fuck? Like, was the worst swear word in the world. And so we were going around the house and I'd be mouthing to be like, hey, your dad's a frostable. <laughs> something to 
to tell you, Mum was having a bit of a joke, Frost Noor is not a real swear word. And he thought it was hilarious. Like, he's like, no, you got me. <laughs> Programmed to respond to Frostable. Is that <laughs> so if you say, hey, Digby, Frostable, you're like, Wah! not on the dinner table! <laughs> and what's so brilliant is that during all this, we got two kids, and quite coincidentally, we called one of them Pirate because he had a bung eye, right? And so the other day, Pirate, the cat, is standing up on the counter with his back to us, and I went, hey, Digby, check it out, it's an actual Frostable. <laughs> So. <laughs> we have another guest that we'd like to introduce at this point. Um, and then, oh, I'm going to ask you, oh, Naomi, yes. Naomi when, when we have the other guest. Sorry? Oh, brilliant. Great. Well, we're very happy there's lots. Okay, um, so we have another guest we'd like to add into the mix at this point. Uh, she is a diversity and inclusion coordinator for a prominent Melbourne football club. We're not saying which one. And she is one of two women of colour who work for the club, and they have their own club within the club, which they call Sisters Solidarity. Please put your hands together for Rana Hussein. I do. So I'm a feminist, but yesterday when I was organising an outfit to come to last night's show, I carefully picked out something that I hoped Deborah would notice, will notice me in the crowd somehow, and that if I went up to you afterwards, you would think, oh, you're fabulous, I'll invite you on the show. <laughs> Because for one, one reason, I thought, is Carly has to come along and be the educator. Because I think we're all a bit, I think we all, many of us, I shouldn't say we all, because I'm othering. I feel many of us feel <laughs> that uh, we are sometimes clumsy with language. And I felt like Carly might be coming in going, oh, I've got to teach you numpties. She wouldn't say numpties because she's inclusive. But <laughs> say humpty dumpties. Humpty dumpties, right. Uh, that you bananas humpty dumpties. Uh, uh, I've got to teach you like a school teacher. And I thought it was actually more interesting to have someone else to talk to because you must have this all the time because you're DNI, diversity and inclusion, for a football club and you're one of only two women of colour who work there. How many women work there in total? Oh, it's pretty good, the numbers of women. Unfortunately, still all in admin, not in football, so. Oh, it kind of feels like the 1950s, just everybody at a, at a computer typing away. Is it a bit mad, Benny? Yeah. Or in my mind, yes. <laughs> Is that because you want to be Joan? <laughs> just, yeah. <laughs> um, I would think football, um, clearly they want to be more inclusive because they've hired you. 
uh, to be diversity inclusion officer. But how do you educate without being sort of scoffed at or seen as token? Yeah, this is literally what I talk about every day with my manager and it's incredibly hard because football is its own little bubble and footy is everything, that that's the most important thing and you kind of have to give them the why, what does this mean to you, make it important to them, basically. So are you basically just, the way I'm visualising it in my head is that you've just got a spray bottle and whenever um, one of the footballers says something terrible, you just spray them in the face and go, no! And it's my observation from having written three articles on football last year, and I hate football, <laughs> that footballers are more ableist than the wider population. I f yeah, I feel like I can't answer that because I'm not a footballer. I don't know what that's like to be an elite sports person, and I feel like that comes with a lot of, a lot of shit. Um, and, but yeah, look, I think the men that I work with, the footballers that I work with, have started sport at a very young age, they're very good at it, and that's all they know. Their lives are very scheduled and they haven't been exposed to a whole lot. That's the norm, I mean, that's the kind of general trajectory. What we do is just kind of try and be as authentic as we can when we connect with communities. So looking at what we're doing at the moment is who's historically been excluded from football? Women, LGBTQI people, people with disabilities, uh, multicultural people and Aboriginal people and we've just kind of gone okay for the next few years we're going to focus on this and start to build those connections and for me it's normalising, normalising our place and owning the game rather than being the good news story or you know um, the exotic. You're so right, I was watching a, um, a TV show the other day and uh, it was called a Spartan or something like that and they had a guy who'd been in a car accident, he'd lost his leg and his mates had got him motivated again and they were competing as a team. And it was like, he was clearly an elite athlete and it was really amazing to see what they were all doing but the commentary was all about, he's so inspiring, oh he's so inspiring, it's like just let him get the fuck on with what he's doing. Like, it's, it, it's amazing that they're all here but it's amazing that they're all there and it was just that thing of holding someone up as an inspiration rather than just going, this is this dude's life and it's... Stella would have hated it. Oh, so much. She would have been furious. How much do you get that feeling, Carly, of uh, people telling you you're inspirational just because you've made a sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quite a bit. And it's hard because inspiration is a compliment, you know. And, and last night, the cat, the, the woman that scratched my arm and, and the man that made the they they were worse than the people that told me I was inspiring. But, you know, I just have to say thank you. And, but I don't want to have to go into why it's problematic. But I also, I would like to be seen as inspiring for doing a really good job at something or for writing a really good article or going on the Guilty Feminist podcast, for example. But I don't want to be inspiring just for sitting you know, on the train. And sometimes when I write, it's true sometimes when I write an article for the media and my photo is used in the thumbnail on Facebook, the commenters will say, oh, this lady's so inspiring. I see her on the train. And I thought, well, she's never, they've never spoken to me on the train. How do they know that I'm even doing anything inspiring? Like, I'm just looking at Facebook. <laughs> Maybe it's inspiring because it's hard to get a seat on the train. <laughs> I, I ask, although that's been problematic too. Uh, not inspiring when I ask for a seat. 
bit inspiring when I've got the seat, when I didn't have to ask. What are sort of the top things, just so we can be, we're all problematic, but can we be more sophisticated in our problematicness, is what I'm saying. What are the top three, sort of the almost top basic things that we should just stop, we should just quit it as non-disabled people? Uh, say that to your friends, it's not okay to use these ableist slurs. Tell them to use banana. Okay, oh, can we have some oh, yeah, Naomi? That. Okay, so we need to give Naomi a microphone. So, so oh. <laughs> wow, that was, that was, that was like traits of yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Hello. Thank you, Naomi. Okay, so uh, this is like Letterman now, isn't it? <laughs> okay, top ten things we can say that aren't problematic. Okay, so, if we're in traffic and mm. saying it's driving me crazy, you can say, it's making me livid. Livid, okay. Uh, oh, don't do this to me now. <laughs> <laughs> Naomi, you said you were ready. What's happened? I know. It, yeah. I've got a microphone. I'm not used to it. No, no. <laughs> it's it's unbelievable. Um, unbelievable. Okay, well, I'm livid. It's infuriating. It's infuriating. Uh, How about if we're describing Donald Trump? Polish. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. What's that? <laughs> Polish. and he's got bad hair and he's got a small penis and small hands and all the things that they say. It's like, if you have... I, I heard someone doing it the other day saying something about um, micropenis as an insult and I was like, if you have a micropenis awful. and everybody's laughing and you're like, yeah, it must be the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Like, it must be really bad. And I think it, the reason he's gross is not because of his physical attributes. So, yeah, so, so I wrote a piece of fan fiction about Donald Trump in which... <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Naomi, sorry, Naomi. Naomi's continue. I had him at the end replaced by a walrus rolled in cheesels. <laughs> so I've done that, haven't I? Like, I've been insulting about his appearance, so it's not okay to compare him to a walrus. I laugh, so I'm a bad activist. <laughs> Person. Did everyone read Cat Person? Yeah. Short story in the New York Times uh, about a young woman's sexual encounter that was uh, nuanced and contemporary and it was around coerced consent and various other issues. Okay. There's a bit in that where she looks at him and she's basically gone off him. She's not sexually attracted to him anymore. And she describes in her head, she doesn't say it out loud, she doesn't fat shame, but in her head she's uh, momentarily disgusted by a row of fat that he has. And we were talking about it afterwards, and some people say, fat shaming shouldn't be there, da da da. I'm like, okay, we were talking about it afterwards, and they're saying, it's a work of fiction. She, in her head, in that moment, she was physically repulsed. But it, she wasn't physically repulsed by the fat, she was physically repulsed by him, because she didn't want to be with him. And she found a thing. You know, if, you've, if you're with someone and you've just gone off them touching you, and then suddenly you think, oh, they're toenails, or he could have absolutely, he could have a six pack, and you could think, oh, you know, 
veiny or, you know, <laughs> you know, bristly or something like that. Like, anything about them will disgust you if you're disgusted by them. And I don't want to live in a world where somebody can't have a secret thought in their head in a fictional story or it's fat shaming. That concerns me because that feels Orwellian because we do think these things and we're human and that's fiction. But also I think a lot of our, if, if Donald Trump was currently standing up to the NRA and socialising medicine, we wouldn't describe him that way because we wouldn't be repulsed by him, we'd be drawn to him. It's not a good reason to, to say disgusting, to say, oh, he's gross because he's fat, but do you see what I mean? I think your remark about walruses is actually quite anti-walrus for a start. But secondly, <laughs> it's, it's about, I find you disgusting and therefore whatever you are, I, you know, do you know what I mean? Like if Justin Trudeau was doing those things, we'd go, ooh, he's so smarmy and so looks like he used car salesman. You don't, Justin, if you're listening. You look at him. <laughs> <laughs> what if Justin Trudeau was doing the same stuff as I'd, I'd say you look like a used car salesman, but you're not Justin and I don't. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's tricky, but the thing is, people who look like Justin Trudeau are not marginalised for their physicality. Yeah. Like when England and Australia have a rivalry, there's an equality between the countries. It would be very different, say, if you were taking a piss out of another country that was marginalised. So, is there leeway then if it is someone who is in a position of power that you, you know, like because people are trying to take him down and mock him for his tiny hands and things like that because they feel like it's a way of uh, uh, rendering him, now I'm going to say impotent, which is maybe not a word to use. As well. as well, you know, like it's a minefield. It is. A I minefield. don't think tiny hands is a problem because tiny hands isn't a stereotype. The tiny handed yeah, yeah. of the world haven't been mocked since childhood, and I mean, all children have tiny hands, so that's. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, I just don't think. I think tiny hands is peculiar to Donald Trump, and it's not a stereotype. And I think that's different from small penis, which is a stereotype mm. and is much more problematic. Am I right, Carly? Again, I, fix this. You know, I think. <laughs> Of the whole well, I'm afraid um, you have to be. <laughs> I think that isn't that why we brought Rana? Yeah, Rana also. Yeah, I, I think that um, you know we need to be punching up, not yes. down. And so if we were mocking someone that wasn't Donald Trump about his appearance to the extent that we are mocking Donald mm -hmm. Trump, then that would be bad. But Donald Trump is in power and he's an evil man. But we can still use like we should be focusing on the things that he does, not the way he yes. looks like. You know? Oh, yeah. I get a clap. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. And that, that is like one of the core tenets that people talk about with comedy is that you punch up and not down. Because why, why do you want to marginalise someone who is already marginalised? But it is that thing of like wanting to speak truth to power that comedians go on about. Um, yeah, so I think, I think you're exactly right. So it's more desirable to talk about his policies and his behaviours. Mm. So some people are saying he's psychotic. Some people are saying he's a narcissist. And other people are saying don't project mental health issues on him because then that marginalises people with mental health issues. But there are a series of psychiatrists that have got together and said he does seem to have a personality disorder. But then my friends who are psychiatrists said to me years ago, they were talking about Gordon Brown, our Prime Minister at the time in Britain, and he wouldn't leave. And I said, how does he not wake up every day and everyone's going, go, go, go? And he's going, no, I still think I'm the best person for the job. And the psychiatrist said, oh, because he's a sociopath. And I was like, what? And they said, no, 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 not especially. They said all heads of state have to be sociopaths because you have to have an inflated sense of yourself and your own abilities. A neurotypical person can't do the job. And they were just like, oh, that's just a fact. 
And so any head of state usually is neurodivergent in that way, but Donald Trump has too much of that going on. So it's almost like you're incapable of doing the job if you have a regular, typical amount of interest in what other people think, a normal amount of empathy. But if you have as much as Donald Trump has or Mugabe has, then you do the job very badly. Now, there are some people who say, if you say anything about mental health, then you're tarring everybody who has mental health issues as the same brush. And I don't really agree with that. I think, well, there's sciatica, there's diabetes, and there's cancer. Those things are different. And there's lots of different sorts of mental health issues. Some of them are dangerous. Most of them are not. Most people with mental health issues have much more chance of being the victims of violence than the perpetrators. But some conditions are dangerous. Are we able to say that? I feel like... Can I weigh in? Please. Um, some of this, I feel like, is the problem of needing to find kind of neat, tidy sound bites to express ourselves. And, and you know, Twitter is the main example of that. And I think, and you know, we're talking about language. We need to just use language as our tool and extend ourselves and extend the conversation and use the amount of language that we need to to say what we actually mean, mm. rather than saying mental health. And then going, all right, well, I'll just throw that up and hopefully some people know what I mean. You know, it's extending our energy and our, you know, brain power to actually be specific and make the point and use language to break down whatever barriers. And I think we were talking about it before that often in this conversation, what happens is we kind of then withdraw and say, well, I won't have the conversation at all. And I'm scared I'll offend. And... I'm just going to stop and look at you or not, you know, hide away. And I think for me personally anyway, I would much rather have the offensive question or the awkward conversation than have nothing at all and no chance to connect. And I think that for me is the ultimate kind of point. Okay, of so you're asking for nuance on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're saying... Dream. <laughs> so, but I think you're right. We need to fully explain what we mean. And if it can't be said in 140 or 280 characters, don't say it. Don't say it there. There's other ways of speaking that aren't Twitter. And we've forgotten that. Exactly. And not everything has to be a Facebook post. It can be a conversation. It can be a blog. It can be a longer podcast discussion. It can be... There are other ways of talking about these things. And I think also, like, if you take a risk in talking to someone and you get it wrong that listen to what you're being told as well, like don't get defensive and shut the conversation down. Like, suppose I was the ridiculous woman that offered you a scratch. It really wasn't me, it wasn't me. But, <laughs> but if you had said something to me, if I had done that, I shouldn't just go, oh my God, this is mortifying, I'm not gonna double down and shut you down and say we well, should be grateful for it or whatever. It's to go, this is so uncomfortable, but I want to get past this and I want to find a better outcome kind of thing. So it's that thing I think of when we feel like we're taking a risk and it's uncharted waters because the person in front of us looks different to us or we've had no um, exposure to diversity in any way, that you take the risk in the conversation and you listen to what you're told rather than freaking out. Like, and I think it's really hard to, you know, call out this language stuff and the behaviour, and especially online, because people are so defensive. And you know, when I've done it, I've lost friends and I've lost people that I admire because I've bravely spoken up. And and recently, I talked to a comedian who I, I called out and I said, you know, I really admire you. I'm really scared to say this, and they blocked me on Twitter. And, what? You know, I was pretty devastated because I, I was a fan for years, and I, I framed it politely and I gave them this information that link to autism. 
Mystic Hoya. And, you know, um, yeah, and, and it well, makes... blocked you on Twitter. Yeah. It, I'm it assuming made, it was a man. Yeah. <laughs> it, makes, it makes me more scared to do it in, in the future. And, you know, now I've taken to private message, not... But, you know, it's, it's hard because I've lost friends as well because they feel like they've well, had their right. Friends. Yeah, they feel like they've had the right to say the R word. You know? Well, then so their right to offend is bigger than a disabled person's right. To but, but then I also think that uh, as a non-disabled person, it's also my job if my friend uses the R word, mm. which hasn't happened. But it's also my job to go, you can't say that. Because people have this weird thing, I think, where it's like if a woman talks about uh, someone being sexist towards her straight cisgendered guys have a tendency to dismiss it, but if another straight cisgendered guy goes, hey, that's really fucking sexist, they're like, oh, he is so right, he is so right. Like, sometimes if you can't hear the person that is affected by it, so you have to listen to someone who looks like you so that you know it's the truth. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and allies are so important. Uh, there was an article today on Facebook about an actress who turned down the, just dropped herself out of the auditioning process for Black Panther because she said, I'm light-skinned, there's loads of roles for me. I'm a light-skinned black woman and this is one of the only films for dark-skinned black women. I'm not going any further. And to ally up, to pull out, to say, hey, I'm a white woman, there's enough of us on this panel or I'm a white man and I think there could be a woman of colour on this panel so I'm going to walk away from it. I think allies just need to start doing it now. We need to start, if we're really allies, we have to sacrifice ourselves and we Naomi, do you have any final words we can use? Positive words? Positive for Trump. Oh, no, no, no. Just, <laughs> just general words that are useful to use instead of ableist language, instead of like, it's mental. Um, what else can we say? The list is so long. Um, good. Well, give us three that you like. Contemptible? Yes. That's a good, good word. Good vocabulary. Asinine? Oh, that's Asinine. also oh, really good. These are good words. I'm going to sound so sophisticated. <laughs> Ignoramus. <laughs> Okay, all right, so we've got a bunch there, but you can go to Autistic Hoya and uh, check out more if you want them. It's useful. I mean, I'm going to give up this kind of ableist language for Lent, and I'm not going to take it up again. Um, Rana, do you have anything to plug? Anything you'd like us to look at or anywhere Ooh. you'd like us to go? Any football team you'd like us to support? <laughs> Obviously, you haven't said which one, but you are a football fan, aren't you? I, yes, I do love my football. I feel like a dork saying that in here. <laughs> can you say it's dork? I think is Dork Paul? Carly has endorsed Dork. <laughs> it's been officially Don't endorsed. to me Actually, at 11 o'clock at night on Facebook. I will say, I won't out my club. And I love my club and I think it's a great place, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I will say, <laughs> so genuine. If you do like football, go and check out the community stuff that your team does because all the community sectors in football clubs are doing some amazing work, amazing work. And... It's a, just a lot of people who use this huge brand to kind of get some amazing work done. So check all that out. We will do that. Thank you so much. Carly, anything to plug? Yes, I'm writing a book. <laughs> Don't ever write a book. It's awful. It's awful, right? It's awful. I said that. I said that. And Never do it. I do a lot of my writing in bed because I'm sore and I often fall asleep. Oh, I do it in bed just because I'm lazy. <laughs> no good reason. But I sit, I prop myself up and I do it in bed. I do loads. Yeah. I love the thought that your, each chapter in your book ends with zzzz. <laughs> What's your book called? Uh, it's called Say Hello and it's going to be out in the middle of the year. Marvellous. We will all buy that. Cal Wilson, everybody, with a plug. Uh, I've got my show, Hind 
Insight coming up at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. It's also going to Brisbane, it's going to Sydney and Canberra and Perth. Go and check that out. I have uh, co-created with the BBC a new podcast called Grown Up Land. Uh, it's about being a grown-up and it's uh, featuring Mae Martin, Bish Kayali and Ned Sedgwick, who you'll know from Global Pillage if you listen to that. It's Grown Up Land, BBC Radio 4 podcast. Um, please check it out and it's just such a great show. Uh, follow The Guilty Feminist on Twitter at GuiltFemPod. Check out our Instagram and all of the other things. Rate, review and subscribe. Give it five stars. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist Amazing golfers who are feminists. Who? So, who are those golfers? I know that they are out there. <laughs> what about Amanda Puttington? <laughs> Amanda um, Puttington. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's uh, a children's book. Sarah, Sarah, nineteenth hole. <laughs> oh, I don't think she's a golfer. Imagine <laughs> that. That's like some kind of yes. sci-fi woman who's got nineteen holes. That would be amazing. <laughs> going to write that speculative fiction story. <laughs> Orifice in space. <laughs> what seems to be the problem, Orificer? <laughs> We've got off to a good start. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. 
And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.